Hello, Hello. everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the post-apocalyptic wasteland that is San Francisco yeah. in 2020. Very shell-shocked uh, <laughs> podcast host. <laughs> coming to you live or half alive, as it were. Do you remember when we joked at the beginning of the year about the world ending? And now it actually is ending. Actually, I don't want to be, I don't want to get like over dramatic about this. No, the world's not ending, but maybe yeah. humanity is. <laughs> <laughs> Finally! <laughs> Nature will be fine. The trees will continue on. The animals are going to do great. They're going to do great things. Yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, God. You know, um... Actually, this is a great year for, like, 2020 is the year for animals. Like, dolphins are back in the Venice canals. Like, it kind of feels like everything is getting, like, a minute. I, it, it's, yeah, it's because all the humans packed up and went home. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird thing to talk about because obviously, like, we know a ton of people who've actually, like, been pretty negatively affected by all of this. Um, no one that we know has gotten sick, thank God, but, like, a lot of people have either, you know, been put on hold for their jobs or have just, like, been, yeah. they've been told to go home without any... We have knowledge friends. if they have a job when they come back. So yeah, we have people who don't who are not necessarily fired, but they're they're like their job closed and they don't know if they're getting paid or how that's gonna work for any of that nonsense. Right. Um, we have friends trapped in other countries because travel oh, restrictions. Shout out Chloe and Ashley. Stay yeah. strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe we'll <laughs> we will come for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's just kind of like a crazy time. Like, um, we don't want to talk too much about coronavirus just because, I don't know, I feel like podcasts are sort of like they are remaining this kind of like sacred space it's of like, escapist, it, yeah, right? where it's like we are definitely going to talk about comics today, but it did seem like something that we like. Well, you have to address it, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially, I mean, yeah, I actually got sick at the beginning of March, so I've actually been inside, like, since March 1st. Yeah, it's been a while. Although, I mean, <clears throat> we did do, uh, like, an online figure drawing class today, which oh, is yeah. really cool. That is awesome. Like, if you, like, if there's something like that, like, in, like, at, like, a local art store that you guys have, like, you should definitely check it out, because it was great. Like Yeah, shout-outs to the Arsenal in San Jose for hosting the online it was awesome. figure drawing. It was really cool. Yeah, we've been doing um, a lot of like drawing, and um, I've been getting really far in Stardew Valley. So you know, my farm is looking amazing. But yeah, we're holding up. Um, we are. I feel like we're kind of like made for this. I feel like self quarantine is sort of our jam anyway. It is incredible how much you can actually get done when you don't have to go to work for eight hours you're like oh. i do still have to go to work like my job is still work from home so and i don't get that same luxury well i'm gonna find out tomorrow because i'm gonna have a zoom meeting to determine whether or not there's anything i can do yeah with distance learning i work at a school uh, so. yeah yikes. Oh <laughs> um uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes um but hey maybe it'll mean a paycheck which would be good i uh, yeah um that's true but anyway, we are, we, out of all of this, we actually, we are pretty lucky. Like, no one that we know has gotten sick. Um, yeah. You know, everyone is still pretty healthy and is following sort of the um, social distancing and, like, self-isolation. Yeah, people are finding creative ways to stay sane. Yeah, we just want to, it's like, we can't not talk about coronavirus, but the rest of the episode is going to be a... Less depressing? Less depressing? More depressing? I don't know. Actually, <laughs> this comic really goes in some different directions. Um, I mean, yeah, let's, so this week we read Scott Pilgrim, and we're kind of changing up the format. Um, we read uh, the first uh, two volumes instead of just doing one. Just, we've found that in past podcasts, like... Um, it's hard to get, like, an, an overall impression of a series just by reading the first volume. Um, so we're trying to, like, broaden it out a little bit more just so that, um, uh, we can just get, like, a better, like, I don't know, sense of what the series is actually like. Just because, uh, if you base it off the first volume, it is just kind of like this weird snap judgment where you're like, I didn't like it, Blah. So, um, I'm, I'm trying yeah, it's, it's funny because like <laughs> usually the first volume is like someone finding their footing, right? And so you, it's sort of uneven, and you may or may not like it. Of course, there are people who come out the gate and they're just phenomenal. But 
So it is kind of nice to do two volumes and sort of get, like, a broader view of the series as a whole. And then one thing I've also noticed that's, like, um, I mean, we compare the first volumes a lot to pilots um, on the podcast. And just, like, like TV pilots. And, like, one, um, one thing that I notice a lot as well is that they don't use the same artist a lot. Like, the rest of the series is usually, like, it switches to somebody else. That's usually, yeah, that's usually, like, the big two books, Marvel and DC. Yeah. Um, and a book like this, that wouldn't happen because it is so wholly created by this guy. But, um, like, the big two, they'll usually get, like, either a big-name writer, a big-name artist, or both. They'll put them on the first arc of a series, and then after, like, six issues, they don't want to pay those rates anymore. Right. And they got the sales bump, you mm-hmm. know? So they, they usually switch out to someone else. And so it can be a little bit uh, annoying, irritating, vexing. <laughs> But it also, we did notice that it was, like, a lot of the times, you know, like, I would be like, I don't really like this art, or I really like this art, and then it's like, oh, well, this person isn't actually the artist that's known for being on this series. I think the series that hit me hardest with that artist change was uh, Rat Queens. Oof. Oh, Red- my God. I'm still... <laughs> rest, I, in, rest in peace, Rat Queens. R.I.P. Rat Queens. Even I though still, it's still going. Uh, not, no, it's not dead. as far as I'm concerned. It's fucking dead. That had the potential to be, like, one of the best like oh, an, like another saga it yeah. had the it had the potential to be like a second coming of saga let's move on i'm not ready to talk about it <laughs> yeah. so, salt in the wound this week we read uh scott pilgrim versus the world it's an eight uh, sorry scott pilgrim's precious little life and scott pilgrim versus the world oh damn okay yeah, yeah my bad yeah. yeah so each um volume has its own title which didn't seem important but kind of is we'll discuss later okay cool and yeah. then also how many issues are or volumes. Six volumes. So it's a six-volume series, um, and I think most people are probably familiar with it. I mean, if not through the comic, because it is actually a pretty popular comic, uh, through the um, 2010 movie of the same name starring Michael Sarah. Boo! Yeah, we're not a, we're not a Michael Sarah household here. It's <laughs> no, we're staunchly anti Sarah. <laughs> um, All right, so let me give a quick summary, and then we'll get into the ratings. Okay, so um. Scott Pilgrim, like the comic series, it basically centers around. <laughs> who would have guessed? Who does it? Who does yeah, it center who, around? Oh, uh, this guy, Scott Pilgrim. And oh. he's. Uh, he, okay. Just like bear with me through the summary because I've got a lot of follow up questions. But like, so Scott Pilgrim is kind of a shitty dude. Like, he he's like in his early 20s. He graduated from college. He like is living in a shitty apartment across the street from his childhood home with his best friend. Um, he like kind of doesn't own anything he has nothing to his name he has no job he shares a bed with his best friend right exactly <laughs> um that's how poor he is yeah and pathetic only, yeah the only thing he's really kind of got going for his life is that he's in this band with his friends but this band uh like there's a running joke that it's like actually pretty terrible so yeah. that's kind of like where we find scott he's like unemployed just like living in a shitty apartment and just kind of doing whatever. Also, he's dating. We find out in like the first few pages that he's dating a seventeen-year-old named Knives. Ew. Jack. Yeah, this like. I. This, but it doesn't glorify it. The comic no, does not glorify that. His, it's like they do make a point. Like his friends are actively making fun of him. Just like, are you serious? Like this is is this actually real? Because it's like so in the comic he's twenty-three. It's like I'm sorry. Like no. Like that's. It, it is weird though how it's like those two the the age gap like as you get older like does that that age gap like doesn't mean anything like when you get into your later 20s and your 30s but it's like she is still underage he like is graduated from college it's like it's it's a pathetic move it's it's pretty it's pretty sad I've always come down on the people in their 20s dating like high schoolers is not little, okay yeah. yeah it's like you can make a case for maybe 20 but even still is like that's still like really it's still like, kind of icky it's also one of those things too where it's like it's not even about i mean yes it is about like the underage aspect of it but it's also like if you're like when you're graduated from college like you're in a totally different place in your life emotionally As if you graduated from college well, assuming he did. no yeah, well he like, did, he maybe did oh he doesn't remember oh shit <laughs> um, scott like, also, why like, do you keep fucking up <laughs> uh, yeah it's uh, skeevy it's weird um 
I there will be almost no circumstance under which you could get me to say that it's not. Like, it's skeevy and weird. Yeah, it's skeevy and weird. Don't do it. Tell your friends. So right. Scott comes off with a personality deficit right out of the gate. You're yeah. kind of like, ew, dude. Yeah, he's not doing great. He's not doing Although, great. Although, they do make a point to be like, they, they never even kiss. They barely hold hands. Right. In the beginning. Yeah. And um, I mean, he does have this comment where he's like, look, it's just easy. And it's like, I think that says a lot about, like, all of the other stuff that's about to happen. Um, So basically, yeah. So Scott starts having these weird dreams about a girl on rollerblades who he then actually encounters in real life. And he discovers that her name is Ramona Flowers. And this is kind of like the central relationship to the whole series is Scott and Ramona. Um, And it is kind of bizarre because... One thing that I thought was really interesting about this comic is, like, I don't even know if you could say this about a comic, but it kind of crosses into this sort of, like, magical realism where, like, you're living in the normal world, but, like, for example, Ramona Flowers, like, she is able to rollerblade on this, like, subspace highway through Scott's dreams, and, like, that's how they originally meet. Yeah, she's a Amazon delivery girl. Right, like, back when Amazon so, used to just deliver books. So, like, <laughs> so, yeah, he's got... No, she delivers a CD to Scott. This I guess is, that's this true. Is the, it's weird, because the website is Amazon.ca, so this is clearly in the early days of... Oh, but that's Canada. No, it's Canada, yeah. Oh, duh. Oh, duh. <laughs> right, they're in Canada. Mm. We should mention that, although it's not relevant. But so, yeah, Ramona Flowers, she's able to travel in subspace through people's heads for some reason? Well, that's kind of what I'm talking about, where it's like this magical realism element where it's just like... And that's kind of like... You'll see that throughout this entire comic where it's like... Brian Lee O'Malley does a really good job about weaving in these sort of like pop culture kind of video game moments, but like pretending as if this is a totally normal thing that's happening in an otherwise normal situation. Yeah, people don't really seem to bat an eyelash too much. They might be surprised by, like, a new combatant entering, but they're not like, oh, my God, this fight where people are flying around is so crazy. But also, like, magic isn't a part of this world. Like, not everyone is, like, has magical abilities. No, everyone, pretty much everyone in this book works a dead-end job at, like, a coffee place or a record store, and they kind of just, like... Typical early 20s shit where it's just like, yeah, like, I'm a barista who's trying to be something else. Yeah, they go to bars and they play shows for Battle of the Band. It's, It's very, it's grounded and yet at the same time it's very whimsical. Right, exactly. So... Um, so after Scott actually meets Ramona in real life, um, IRL, yeah, they, um, he breaks up with knives and starts dating Ramona, but after, like, spending some more time with her, he eventually receives, like, this very ominous and, like, cryptic email from this dude named Matthew Patel, who claims to be Ramona's ex-boyfriend, and this is when shit starts, like, kind of kicking off. So, um, Matthew Patel challenges Scott to a a fight and reveals that, um, he is one of seven of Ramona's evil exes that in order to date her, Scott must defeat. Yeah, it's the League of Evil Exes. The League of Evil Exes. And it starts chronologically. So I think, so Matthew Patel was like her like seventh grade boyfriend or something. And they dated for like a week. Um, Beat up a bunch of jocks together. Right, exactly. Like a combination of his magic powers and her being like a badass chain smoker. Right, it's like, I don't, yeah. Again, just, like, very whimsical, kind of, like, weird magical realism here. But, yeah, she, um, so he shows up and Scott fights him in this, like, kind of crazy, it's a lot, like, it's, like, a, like, Street Fighter or, like, Tekken or whatever, like, in this similar sense, where it's, like, there's, like, KO and, like, um, just the fight that they have is, like, very video game e. Yeah, I'm sure you can find that clip on YouTube, Scott Pilgrim, Matthew Patel fight, and it's roughly the same. Actually, that's one of the things, and we will talk a little bit about the movie, um, just because um, it. I think a lot more people know the movie than they do the comic, or I don't know, but um, it, it's crazy how true to the source material the movie actually was. I thought so too, and then I kind of was rereading some of Scott Pilgrim, and I was like, oh, they changed like little things Yeah. that it doesn't really change the story, but... I, almost universally, I didn't like it as much in the movie as the book, and I know that sounds pretentious, but also no, I think that's a I think that's a legit like. But also, like I don't have any great love for Scott Pilgrim. This is my poser alert right here, but I've actually <laughs> never read the full series. Okay, I hadn't read this series up until a year ago. This is one of those books that you always see at every comic shop, and right. it's a big hit, and every comic fan is sort of supposed to have read it. Right. And I <laughs> um until yeah my brother picked these up at a thrift store the first two volumes and i really liked it but i don't like i'm not like oh my god scott pilgrim is the greatest so it's like changes to the story 
don't, don't really bother you. You're not like married to it. You're not like upset that they took I'm not, li- like I'm not upset, creative license. But I do think the book did it better. If okay. that makes sense. Like I think that they were pretty true to the source material, but I can see what you're talking about, especially um because I had watched the movie before reading the book. And I think we'll probably get into that a little bit more later. But basically, um, the whole point of this series is like, while on the surface, it's like, you know, this kind of fun um, comic about like this guy and ha ha ha, he's fighting um, Ramona's evil exes. And like, there are these crazy fights that happen. It's like, what it's really about is like, it's more about what it's like entering into a new relationship with someone and then dealing with their past like, as you start to get to know them more, which, like, includes their exes. Which, I actually, I really like that concept. Like, I thought that that was super interesting. Yeah, it's just, like, it because it's, it's true. It's, like, when you do start dating somebody, I think there is that kind of, like, you're, like, you're, like, what baggage is this person, like, bringing to the table? Like, what, you know, like, what else? Like, what are their exes like? Like, how involved are they still in their life? You know? So it's, like, you are, in a sense, you're not, like, fighting them necessarily, but, you, like, you are kind of, like, dealing with them still sort of, like, being around, or at least the ghost of X's past, you know? Yeah. What would you rate this book? How much have you liked it or dislike it? Um, so... <sighs> this is an interesting conundrum. Um, I... <laughs> I liked the book... I liked the overall concept of it, and I liked um, the art, even though it is a very manga style, which I'm normally not Jack a fan use. of. <laughs> yeah. I knew you would love manga. No, that no, that's not what's happening. Yes, here. it is. <laughs> no. Yes, it is. I um, yeah, it um, I think I would I would probably give this a B plus or an A minus. I'm gonna say A minus. Okay. Mostly because I have some caveats. And my main question to you is, um, well, I guess, first I want to know, like, what did you think? Like, what's your rating? I give it an A. It was a solid A. Solid A? A. Yeah, it just, it was really readable. It's fun. Mm -hmm. The art is not polished, but it's not bad. It's, it's like, it is very much a manga book. And I think that, like, yeah, I, I think it's cool. I like it. I like the story. I do want to pose one question to you, and that is this. Um, are we supposed to like Scott Pilgrim? Like, are we supposed to relate to him? Like, I'm so glad you asked me that. because because <laughs> that was my my biggest issue with this, where I'm just like, fuck you, Scott. Like, first, I want to address your point. Okay, that the main character, like, the main character, shouldn't have to be likable for you to enjoy a work. Yeah, no, and so... I totally agree. But it's like I got the sense that Scott is written as kind of like the relatable everyman, and I'm mm. just like. Fuck this guy. Like, I well, hate Scott. So, you might have noticed, but this book is heavily influenced by manga. Yes. As you previously did notice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, it's obviously, this is something that um, Brian Lee O'Malley, he's a Canadian artist, but he grew up watching anime, reading manga. He did a lot of, like, uh, un, like he did, he did a lot of stuff on the internet before he went to print. And... Um, so this book is heavily influenced by shonen manga, which shonen manga is usually geared towards young or adolescent boys in that sort of like 12 and up range, mm-hmm. 12 to 35. I was going to say, yeah, I was like, maybe we should, yes. I'm only 32. But no, I have three more years. No, but, um, but the main character in shonen manga, which uh, is usually um, sort of dumb, doofy, um not necessarily unlikable but kind of like stupid and and they don't have a lot going for them they're kind of losers and generally over the course of the series they progress and become they sort of come into their own the hero's journey journey, exactly yeah so uh thank you for (laughs) concisely summing that up (laughs) but so essentially at the end of these six volumes scott will have come into his own and sort of become like a functioning adult okay uh, and beyond and I think that uh I don't know I I didn't really realize that till I was like looking at the titles of these and the first volume is um Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life and if you read that first volume he's so nested in this weird like 
everyone's sort of taking care of him. Like, he's mooching off all of his friends. He doesn't right. have a job. It's like... He's he, also still friends with everyone that he knew from high school. Like, he... Yeah. Yeah, he... No one is asking anything of him because they don't expect anything of him. And I think the only... Like, Ramona, as much of, as a cliche as it might be, kind of becomes a driving force. It's like, he sees something that he desires. Oh, we will talk about that. And he... Like... <laughs> He sees something he desires and he starts moving towards it. And she obviously, like, she doesn't know him, so she won't put up... She's a little bit more forgiving, I think, than most people would be. But she doesn't take a lot of his shit. She kind of gives it back a little bit. Well, I also think, too, that it's like they set up Ramona to be the kind of girl that would be forgiving of Scott's bullshit to some extent. And what I mean by that is just, like... She's kind of, like, going through her own, like, shit in her life. You know, she she's not... She doesn't have her shit together. Like, she's, like... um, She kind of moved to Toronto to get away from, like, you know, this past relationship, which will come up, like, later in the series. But, yeah, so it's, like... Yeah, and she also is potentially a liar, like Scott, and a cheater, like Scott. Right. And so, there, at one point, like... Scott's talking to one of her evil exes. They're both not great, is like what we're saying. Right, yeah. and so I have to wonder, having never read the entire series, yeah, if she also undergoes character growth. Like, I, I have to wonder if it's not going to be just Scott's journey. I think right. that this is going to be their journey together because I, I have a feeling like there's one point in the series where like he's talking to an evil ex and the guy's like, yeah, she cheated on me. She like basically like, she slept with me, then cheated on me, then played with my heart, blah, blah, blah. And these are all the exact opposite of what um, she had told Scott happened yeah, with this guy. right. And then on top of that, like, because you're like, oh, well, he's an evil ex. Of course he'd lie. But it, he makes a point of being like, they didn't want to let him into the league because he wasn't evil enough. But he... <laughs> but Which he, one was this? This is the skater guy. Oh, um, right. Oh, but okay. he's like... But he was a good fighter and really tough, so they're like, all right, you're in the league. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Um, so it's like, it's kind of like, okay, so she's a shitty person, Scott's a shitty person, and then, like, their friends are kind of commenting in the background. They're like, wow, maybe they're perfect for each other. Like, yeah. So. I mean, I, I do kind of like that where it's like they sort of help each other grow, although it's like I do feel like it is skewed more towards Scott. I mean, I guess it be, it's because it is his story in a way, but, like, um... But yeah. I don't know. So I think this might be a good opportunity to talk about Brian Lee O'Malley a little bit. Yeah. If I can intercede here. Yeah, no, I would really like to know more about him, especially because I, like what I'm really curious about is like how autobiographical was this? Very. Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, well, then I guess he's very self-aware. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Uh, he wrote this book in his 20s um, as an artist his primary driver is relationships. Mm-hmm. You might be able to tell yeah. from this. <laughs> yeah, shock. <laughs> um, like not necessarily like romantic relationships, but just you know, friends, yeah. lovers, parents, all this sort of stuff. What so, else has he written aside from this? So his first published work, as I mentioned before, he did some stuff online, just posting yeah. stuff online. But his first published work was at twenty four, and it was called Lost at Sea. Okay. Um, very autobiographical as well. Yeah. He sort of has this quip in an interview where he's like, you know, in my early 20s, I felt like a teenage girl, you know, very emotional and like these sorts of like, and so he kind of goes on to that. So the primary uh, protagonist of Lost at Sea is this young girl who uh, believes that a cat stole her soul. Oh, wow. And then she basically, she, they, she goes on a road trip across America with some people she barely knows. Yeah. And that, like a lot of that is like, a very like autobiographical as well like yeah. in terms of things he was feeling not necessarily things in his life right right exactly and so then he said but when my friends read that book it just made them very sad <laughs> and so he wrote scott pilgrim in order to make his friends laugh and so at the time he was in his early 20s living in toronto with a gay roommate he was in a band mm-hmm. And there's all these things that sort of are exactly the same as Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. And so he turned that into Scott Pilgrim. Wow. Channeled it into his work. And apparently, like, it did make his friends laugh. It made a lot of people laugh. Yeah. It is very... Well, it's like... It's funny because, um, yeah, what we're talking about before where it's like Scott is not exactly painted as, like, a great person. But at the same time, it's like he's likable enough. But if you look at that as Brian Lee O'Malley sort of... um, like kind of painting a portrait of himself I guess it's very self-aware because it's like 
um, to be able to remove yourself that much and be like, yeah, I'm kind of like doing some shitty stuff to my friends and like kind of using them, but I know I'm doing it and they know I'm doing it and like I'm having, I'm commenting on it, I guess. Yes. And I'd also like to note that whatever the equivalent of the FBI is in Canada, I have to assume it's the Royal Mounted Police, but they should look <laughs> we into, can only hope. <laughs> like, they should look into Brian Lee O'Malley and see if he was dating any 17 year old girls. Yeah. I'm calling point. it. Yeah. Um, that's how autobiographical his work is. <laughs> No, but then also after this book, his uh, his major work was a book called Seconds. Okay. And it's uh, he wrote it in his 30s, uh. and it's about a woman in her 30s who kind of wants to go back and fix the mistakes in her life. Wow. So he's a very autobiographical artist. I mean, I guess that is like that. It's like you should write what you know, I guess. Right. But, but and that makes for really good comics, apparently. And he does have that sense of whimsy that sort of it's a thread throughout this. And this is very video game oriented. In seconds, uh, it's about a woman. She owns a restaurant. Yeah. And what she does is she, like, basically writes down her mistakes and then eats a mushroom and goes to sleep. And that somehow takes her back in time to fix the mistake. Oh, wow. And so when she wakes up, her life is better. But, of course, But, of course, like, you can't go back in time without any repercussions. First rule of time travel, people. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know that it, it doesn't necessarily, like, I don't know that it's so much time travel as it is, like, your life is not the same because of the, like, because you change those. Yeah. That, of no, course. No, 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 I, I yeah. see what you're saying. It, it's just more complicated now. Is not necessarily, yeah. it's not like. It's not like it's changed, there's just more elements that you have to deal with. Yeah, it's not like, oh, a dinosaur is your mom now because something in time, you know, got Would you up. go back? Like, would you, would, like, if you had that power, would you do that? No. I don't think I would either. Just because, like. I'm. Pretty happy with where I am now. Yeah. Well, and also, it's like the shit that I've done in the past that I regret. I'm just kind of like, I kind of want to just live with that. Like. Yeah. I also sometimes think like, because I am like, at 14, this is, you didn't see it, but I rolled my eyes. I thought I was too old to be a comic book artist at 14. I, I know. Was, I it, was like, Ugh, if I haven't mastered it by now, I never will. I don't think I'm, that ever goes away, though. I think that, you know, it's like. Um, even now I feel, I still feel like there are some things where I'm like, oh, I'm just too old to get into that. Or mm-hmm. like, I'm just like, I've missed my window or I've missed my chance. And it's like, we are, we're fairly young. We're in our Young-ish. early thirties. Yeah. Like, but my point is that like, I, so I sort of spent like 10 years wallowing. Like I was still drawing, but not really doing anything with it. And, ten, yeah. and then, but the thing is, it's like, I feel like if I had like gone back in time and shook myself and like, you're not too old, like blah, 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 do it now. I still think, I think I would have just ended up like a mediocre, like, jobber artist, kind mm. of. You know, like, working some forgettable series or something, like, I don't know. I just, yeah. I just see, like, a different life path where it's, like, I actually, like, find that I'm very happy with, like, this sort of style that's developed from my art and the way that I draw. I like that more now than I think I, if I had, if I had continued down that path of, like, oh, I'd, like, fucking eight pack abs and like gritted teeth and like i want all my heroes to have a dark past uh i think that would have been pretty bad one thing that did also really sort of strike me as i was reading this and it's like it's weird to talk about because it's like i know that this i'm gonna sound super judgy but i i don't know i guess that's kind of the vibe of this podcast but like um i feel like i knew a lot of scots in college like what is this about this like brand of dude that's kind of like like nerd boy who like just can't get his shit together like what is that i think that is known as the larval state of all (laughs) dudes because i strongly identified with scott pilgrim actually do you remember when so i was reading this and i kind of like I was, like, hate reading it at first because I was like, fuck Scott. Yeah, fuck this guy. you were definitely on a tirade. I, as is my natural state. And, like, um, just, you were basically, like, you're like, am I a Scott? You, like, kind of had this, like, mini, like, breakdown. But you're hey, not a Scott. Listen, you're, like. <laughs> listen, that was also, you know, I was in a raw emotional state after the election. <laughs> I just, like, took it really hard. <laughs> and, yeah. You're not a Scott. But I, I, uh, you're not. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I I guess I could see what you're saying, where it's like, yeah, it's the it's the larval stages of any yeah, it's nerd boy. Definitely, because it's like if you can get by without having to have a job, why would you have a job? Oh, because then you can buy more things, 
and be like do more fun things right. and kind of like and also gain it, others respect right <laughs> and your own respect. what i'm saying <laughs> is that like but the the mentality is like oh i don't need a job because everything is provided for me and then it's like you don't realize till you get it when you get a job yeah you're like oh my god like i could buy sushi you know like <laughs> three times a week i love and how it, that's like, your first yeah that's well, like the... well for me my first thought was comic books right but, like, <laughs> but you know what i'm saying where it's like yeah obviously there are plenty of good reasons to have a job it's like it's a, another social outlet assuming your coworkers are cool yeah um it's you know you have more money to do more things like trips and adventures and you can you can buy things for people to show that you care about them instead of being like, here's a card I made you. Well, it's also just like, it's okay. And it's not even the fact that Scott doesn't have a job um, or that he lives in a shitty apartment. It's not even about finances. Like the thing that I feel like um, made me think of all the Scots I've known in my life is just like this level of entitlement where it's like, and maybe that is kind of what you're talking about as well, but like this kind of idea where I feel like I just, I feel like, especially in college, where, like, you know so many people who are, like, like, oh, like, you know, like, why can't I get a girlfriend? It's like, well, why don't you date this person who's, like, very obviously, like, that person, they're like, I'm not attracted to that girl. And it's just like, okay, so who are you attracted to? And they're like, oh, you know, like, um, Natalie Portman, like, Megan Fox. And it's just like, bitch, like, have you looked in a mirror? Like, it's like, you are a four at best. Like, please, like, check yourself. Like, this level of nerd entitlement like, makes me so mad. And I feel like that is what I get the most from Scott. Hurricane Hana has rolled into town. <laughs> Look. Like, this is but a fraction. Of, <laughs> of, of, like, I just, like, the the entitlement and just, like, the expecting that, yeah, kind of, like, kind of what you're talking about, too, where it's, like, not just in terms of dating, but also, like, just expecting that things are going to get taken care of for you or that you don't have to show up for other people or that you can kind of just skate by and be a drain on your friends and family. Like, I don't know, like that. Ah, to go back. (laughs) (laughs) But that is, that was, that was a huge problem that I had with Scott is, yeah. And the Scots I've known. It's just like, also, sorry if I do know actually anybody named Scott. I'm not referring to you specifically. I'm trying to think and I can't off the top of my head. Except you, Scott P. (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) I'm talking about the general essence of Scott's. The general, the, the, uh, je ne sais quoi of the nerd boy larvae. You know what I'm talking about. Right. You married a nerd boy Mm. butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I mean, a cocoon actually would be oh, my, but no. um, <laughs> you are my nerd boy it, butterfly. It's, <laughs> it's funny though. Um, I think that, like I said before, over the course of this series, you're gonna see Scott come into his own and kind of grow as a person. Because remember, there's six volumes of this, and it came out in 2004 and then ended in I think late 2010. Yeah. So that's six years of storytelling. So you'd be waiting probably a year for each volume to come out, and so you would have seen over the course of seven years, like a transformational growth. Yeah. And I think that's a difference between these books and the movie maybe is that in the movie, it's all condensed down to about 90 minutes. And I don't think you see that character growth. By the end of the movie, Michael Sarah is still Michael Sarah, and I still want to punch him in his stupid face. I really wish that we could go back in time and just just erase that period of history where we all were really into Michael Sarah. And by oh, like me, it, I don't, I've never been on that train, but like... Yeah, I wish we could just make that not happen. You mean you don't want to grab him by his weak chin and just... <laughs> he, It's like he was great in Arrested Development. Why couldn't we then, have just left it at that? Yeah, what if he was kidnapped afterwards and I know, never and he... heard of him again? <laughs> oh, my God. This is what we would do with our um, regret mushrooms. We would go back in time yeah, and actually, <laughs> get rid of point. Michael Sarah. <laughs> I'd probably also stop the Arrested Development reboot from happening. Me too, actually. Just better. Plus one. Double down on that. <laughs> Look... I'm going to go on record now and say that there's only ever been one series that they came back 10 years later and it was just as good, if not better, than before, and that's the Deadwood movie. Uh, yeah, actually, I'll give you that. Great movie. It is. It really is. Like, okay, so let's talk about the movie a little bit and just, like, how it compares to the book because um, I did, obviously... So I saw the movie when it came out in 2010. I did, too. And um, I liked it. Um, I thought it was really clever. I it did this really cool thing where it kind of blended this like comic book video game vibe that the the book definitely has which i didn't know at the time but i i, I thought it was really clever 
And I, I honestly think that my biggest complaint is just that I fucking hate Michael Sarah. Right. And and also, um, actually now in retrospect, having read the book, I um, I feel like Ramona Flowers in the book is a lot more sympathetic, I guess, than in yeah. the movie. In the movie, you're just like, bitch, fuck you, like you're a dick. But in the book, you're kind of like, okay, like I, I feel like you're a little bit like, yeah, you don't put up with Scott's bullshit, but you also um, are like a kinder and more caring person. I think that Bradley O'Malley has shown he's pretty good. Like some writers and artists, especially like tend not to be good at writing the other sex. You know, yeah. like it's like male writers and comic books don't always understand women. And I think that he's shown he's got a pretty balanced approach to people. Yeah. So I think we're starting to see the onion layers peeled back in Ramona Flower in these first two volumes. Right. And I think we're going to see more character and more depth the further this series goes on. And again, like, I just don't think the movie has it. The movie cut it down in, you know, 90 minutes, two hours. And I don't think, like, there's no room for character growth. And you only ever see these kind of surface level, like hateable people like Ramona and Scott in that in that movie are so unlikable they really are they're just I will go on record saying that I did like the movie when it first came out yeah and I still kind of like it I just hate Michael Sarah now more than I did then yeah that's the thing it's like it's a it's a good movie um it is interesting though that in the movie they are more unlikable when it is so true to the book well I think that they like okay is um, it just the acting you think or like Okay, so I think that it's a couple things, um, and I'm now going to wax rhapsodic about it. No, wow. <laughs> um, I think that, A, like, the style of art in the books is very manga-influenced and um, very simplified, stripped down. You know, everyone's got big eyes and kind of simple expressions that you can easily tell when they're mad, upset, scared. Like, there's this theory that the simpler a character looks in a drawing, the more you, the reader can imprint on themselves mm-hmm. or they can imprint themselves onto that character. So I think you, A, identify with the characters more in the books because they, they're almost like the drawing equivalent of like puppies and kittens, you know? Yeah. They're cute and they're kind of like, you're like, oh, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> there's that. I also think that uh written dialogue you read it in your mind so it, it makes more sense whereas you put like more of yourself into what the characters are saying right and when it's spoken aloud sometimes the written word can be a little clumsy or right. like not as sharp as you or it's just the the inflection is almost a different way than you would have interpreted it right yeah and then i also think that again michael sarah was the wrong choice for scott pilgrim like reading this book like he's a loser scott is a loser but I almost feel like he's he's closer to like a Ferris Bueller yeah. than he is to than to a Michael Sarah, where it's like he's a loser, but he's kind of charming, and right. he's like people like him despite his you know. And I, also, women like him. Like he has, um, you know they they talk about his like most recent ex that really fucked him up. Right. And then also, um, you know, one of his bandmates he dated in high school. That was sad. That really crushed me. Oh, my God. Which, in the movie, like, it's kind of this running joke that him and Kim, his bandmate, um, like, dated in high school. But in the book, they have this montage that really fucking got me. Yeah, it was pretty emotional. Uh, It's like you see, like, Kim and Scott meeting in high school and them dating. And it's like they lose their virginity to each other in, like, the back of a car. Like, they're listening to this song. And then it's like he kind of breaks up well, with he her. Well, he moves to Toronto. Right. So he moves away. And you just see her sort of like walking away, like by herself. And it's really sad. And it also it becomes even more sad because, um, you know, Scott, I don't, he kind of alludes to like not remembering yeah, that they it, dated, it which clearly, is crazy to me. Yeah, it clearly didn't mean as much to him as it did to her. Because they're, they're now in their 20s and he's like, oh, it's cool now. Like, right. And it's like, she still holds a lot of bitterness and resentment towards you. Yeah, like, which again is like played for laughs in the movie and in the book, like you really, I really felt for her. I was like, fuck him, again, that's rough. I think it comes down to that sort of emotional imprint where you're like looking at these characters and they're almost like blank slates for right. your... For your Um, own, like, emotional stuff. Right. And so you're kind of like, I think that everybody... What are you trying to say, Justin? Hmm? I mean, I've got some unresolved emotional issues. Hmm? I don't know. (laughs) Why don't you call up your Scott Pilgrim? (laughs) (laughs) There are too many to count, Justin. That would take days. (laughs) Like, Scott Pilgrim's not exes. Yeah. 
I mean, I feel like we've given Scott a lot of shit, just, you know, um, because it's so easy to do. But also, I really want to talk about Ramona. Um, she's a really interesting character, and I think that she kind of comes out of this sort of, like, early 2000s manic pixie dream girl sort of, um, I, the, just, like, this kind of thing that was happening like in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I think that these characters have actually always been around in fiction. I just think that they took on um, something a little bit more like insidious, I think, in like later pop culture. Like, I think they went mainstream probably. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I also want to like differentiate where it's like, um, it's like there's two things. There is a manic pixie dream girl, and then there's just a quirky woman who is an individual. Those are two separate things. The thing that makes a manic pixie dream girl a manic pixie dream girl is that they're used as like the catalyst for change in like their male counterpart's life, which Ramona 100% is. In the movie. I think also partially in the book. Like, we don't know. We haven't read the whole series. I mean, I guess that's true. But from what I saw, like, just reading the first two volumes, like, she does that a lot where it's, like, she does kind of have her own stuff going on, but she really, like, seems like she's around just to serve as, like, a catalyst for change for Scott. Having not read the whole series, I'm not going to go to bat against you on this one. I will just say that I wonder how much of the manic pixie dream girl stereotype comes from you having seen the movie first and reading the book second and sort of like a um, Venn diagram in them. And I'm, I'm not saying... Maybe, but... I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just wondering aloud. I'm musing. But it is also just kind of like... Um, and I think that this feeds in a lot with like nerd boy culture as well, where it's like, oh my God, she's like so quirky and crazy and unpredictable. Like she dyes her hair all these colors and like she rollerblades through subspace. And it's just like, it's interesting that I mean I guess it's not interesting it's kind of predictable that Brian Lee O'Malley like chose that type of girl to be like the love interest for his protagonist but it's like I guess what I'm trying to say is like it's annoying how predictable it is like it's just kind of like I think it would have been interesting if Ramona was closer almost to like um the other girls that are in this book like Julie or like Kim where it's just kind of like she's just a normal girl who like works at a coffee shop (laughs) Julie's evil and Kim is Kim is troubled but like like, but but, but you know what I mean where it's just kind of like um it does like bother me how a lot of like nerd culture falls back on this sort of like quirky manic pixie dream girl type of girl yeah I think there's like definitely an idealization there where it's like for some reason people want to date a manic pixie dream girl because they think it'll be fun. Well, I also think it's because they've been conditioned to think like, oh, she's going to change me in some like profound way. God damn you. What's her face? The lady from New Girl. Oh, Zoe Deschanel? Yeah. I don't think that it's her fault. If you really want to go back, I think it's fucking Natalie Portman from Garden State. Oh, yeah. She's like the proto manic pixie dream girl. So we can really blame this on Zach Braff because he's the guy who wrote and directed that movie. I mean, yeah. So fuck Zach Braff. Fuck Zach Braff. (laughs) Fuck that guy. He would have made a great Scott Pilgrim if he was younger. Uh, Yeah, maybe. Because he kind of plays a Scott Pilgrim on Scrubs. Like, I forget what his character name is. His face is too narrow like a horse's. He doesn't, (laughs) he does not round enough. That's like your one, that's the one reason you wouldn't cast him. You're like, I don't like your face. (laughs) No, I like his face fine. Yeah. Yeah, I watch Scrubs, you know, he's Mm -hmm. fine. It's just that he's not, like, round enough. (laughs) He's like, to fit into the nerd boy trope? Yeah. Okay. It's weird, though, because Scott's not chubby but he's definitely got a round face so you got to find somebody who's got kind of a yeah a moon face he's a little bit of a schloob um (laughs) (laughs) fuck zach braff (laughs) wow all right you're really just taking everyone down in this podcast well we can blame him for the rise of the manic pixie dream girl i guess yeah fair no what i think that are you saying that natalie portman also had like because of her amazing acting in that movie she also holds some blame no i was gonna say like actually this phrase the phrase manic pixie dream girl was actually coined in the early 2000s like right around when scott pilgrim was starting to be written and i think it actually comes from specifically the movie do you remember this movie elizabethtown no okay yeah it's with orlando bloom and kirsten dunst 
And um, I think the general premise is that Orlando Bloom moves back to his hometown. It's basically Garden State in a way. I don't know. Please don't come for me if that's yeah. wrong. Um, but like, yeah, it's she's basically weird and quirky and she helps him change as a person. Like that's the, yeah. Well, don't you think that all people help each other change? When but the in... point is just like that they're like, it's it's not accurate because it's like, you're unhinged and like emotionally unpredictable like you know what i mean but it's yes. like oh but it's so charming how because unlike you life me grow for a charismatic young man to date someone who is unhinged and emotionally unpredictable uh, would you say that scott is charismatic are you are you talking about us right now <laughs> <laughs> why would you say that <laughs> if i'm unhinged and emotionally unpredictable justin it's because you make Ow. me this way Ow. <laughs> Oh, you're right. You're right. You're perfect. Oh, why? Oh, Help me. Oh, my God. That's right. Take it back. <laughs> so one thing I also kind of wanted to go back to um, is um, just like the whole concept of the book in the sense that it's like when you get into a new relationship, you are like trying to, you're not like trying to defeat the exes, but you like people do bring baggage into a relationship. Like, so when we started dating, I actually, like, made a really conscious choice not to friend you on any type of social media for, like, the first six months that we dated. And it was largely because, like, I just am a very jealous person, and I was, like, trying to kind of deal with that at the time. Um, And I was like, I just don't need access to, like, pictures of you and, like, the years of, like, ex-girlfriends that you have, like, probably on Facebook. Does that even have any? Oh, you wouldn't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because by the time I eventually like friended you, I was like, I felt so secure in our relationship that I was like, I don't really need to go and look at that. I don't think I was using it at the time. No, you still had one. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember like it being a very conscious choice, but that is an interesting thing where it's like one thing that I've always admired about you is that you are like probably the least jealous person I know. Like you just are very like on the outside. Okay. (laughs) But you seem to just like you, you just seem to be very like good at just being like, you know, knowing like that I love you and like, you know, or, and in the past, like you've never like just seemed like you're a jealous person at all, which I, you're smiling and I hate it because you're just so fucking smug. (laughs) Um, <laughs> it's a trade-off, Hannah. <laughs> Smugness or jealousy? You can take your pick. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's just it is that was something that I feel like with like other exes, like I definitely struggled with, where it's like fuck, like um, you get into a relationship with someone, and then it's like the ghost of like their ex's past kind of still sort of like haunt the beginnings of your relationship. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you really had to worry on that front. <laughs> I think the only thing that came up really was that one time I came to visit was that at Jess's place I I came to visit you and you were already drunk and I had dated someone for too long who had a drinking problem and I remember just being like severely on edge because I was like at the time when I was dating this person every night was either best case scenario they just passed out right worst case scenario was they either picked a fight with somebody else or with me yeah. And so I remember just like, I came, where were it we? It was so weird. Yeah. It was yeah. like, you basically, you were, you were definitely, which is really funny because it's like, I'm actually like, I am a very happy. Oh, like, well, but drinker. that's the thing like, is this person was too in the beginning. So it was like, basically you came up and were very affectionate and yeah. I was like, cool. And I was like, oh God, like it's starting. <laughs> to go. I was like, it's starting to go. I was like, do I have a type? Because like, yeah, no, it was. It was weird. This person would, they would drink and be very happy and affectionate. And then it would just. It would switch. One thing. Say somebody would say one thing and it was like, boom. They were suddenly, they got this mean look in their eyes and they were swaying. And uh, I hope wherever she is, she's doing better now. (laughs) (laughs) But But that's kind of like what I'm talking about, which is why I feel like this book, like it was so, I don't want to say like relatable, but I think it like appealed to me in that sense, just because it's like, I feel like that's something that we all kind of have to deal with when we get into new relationships. Like, um, like how many, so how many exes do you have that I would have to defeat in this situation? Uh, I'm going to ballpark it at 70 because I'm such a Lothario. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, I'm how did you get that much action in the monastery, Justin? Were I'll you... ballpark it at three and a half. Okay. Yeah. Three and a half. <laughs> well, cause one wasn't a relationship. Okay. She was very clear in that like this, but then it's like, 
This doesn't well, mean anything. Pretty much. Yeah. To her. Aww, <laughs> <Justin>. <laughs> oh, Justin. No, man. it's fine. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually, I'm also like really glad that you and I met, well, I think. Time out. What? I answered the question. <laughs> now you have to answer. Where do you ballpark it? Oh, Living I, uh, yeah, in the cloister, <laughs> the nun, the nunnery. The nunnery. I would say same, 70, about 70 ballpark. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I think that I am going to say seven, six, 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 six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because one was also a like a fuck buddy situation. What, isn't Sorry, there... mom. Sorry, mom. <laughs> what is that rule? It's from a movie again, or TV show, where it's like the rule of threes or something like that. Every guy inflates his number by three. Oh, really? And every girl decreases her number by. <laughs> <a thousand>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure it's threes, and also that makes me seem really sad. I, <laughs> like my number's three I and a half. Say, I was like, I feel like that doesn't make a difference. Like, I don't know. I to to be honest, I've never been a fan of like the whole like number thing, where it's like, oh, how many? Even though I I was the one who did ask this question, so I don't. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like um. I, I feel like I count it more, like, if I had a relationship outside of sex where it was, like, it w- we were hanging out and it was more than, like, maybe, like, five months. Right. Longer than five months. I yeah. think I think this rule of three also applies. It's not people you dated, it's people you slept with. So every guy oh. de- increases his number by three and every oh, girl okay. decreases. I was going to say, I was like, yeah, I was like, damn, that's like, yeah. So in that case, 73. Oh, God, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> ouch. Ooh, so hot. Oh, God. I'm ignoring you. And but yeah, so like in that sense, I thought that the comic was actually like really, um, interesting how it sort of dealt with that and especially how it dealt with it in such like a fun way when it is something that I think a lot of people deal with. But yeah. yeah. All right. I think we finally reached like that point in the podcast. Um, do you BTP? know what I'm talking about? BTP. BTP. Beyond the panel. All right. So this week, um, we are talking about... New Mutants. Yeah. Guys, we are hard up for comic book related news. Yeah. It is weird out there. As we mentioned before. Right. Big COVID virus going around. You I don't know heard. if you've heard of it. Yeah. The world's ending. But, but um, yeah. comic news, like basically like movie premieres are delayed. Yeah. Things are be- like comic shops are essentially shut down because they're non-essential services. Like, right um so it's like comic book news is i feel a little bit there's it's hard for me to come up with anything that i care about well i also think that you know i mean we also use beyond the panel to talk about a lot of like relevant like pop culture stuff as well so i feel like this kind of fits but yeah yeah, it is kind of like we are in a dry spell so two months ago the trailer for new mutants dropped right uh and we're now discussing it two months later yeah it's like the trailer but also just kind of like um, the direction that a lot of, like, these X-Men movies seem to be going in, especially after, like, the catastrophe that was, like, the past, like, what, two movies? Well, so, okay, if I can briefly go back for a second. Yeah. Um, The New Mutants was, uh, in the 80s, Marvel wanted a new, you know, an X-Men series with, like, younger cast, Mm -hmm. and so Chris Claremont, who was basically the architect of the X-Men universe, came up with this series, New Mutants, and it's, like, young teens living in xavier's mansion and it had some overlap with the main x-men story um it's really well regarded the artist bill sinkevich is phenomenal and multi-talented so check it out if you ever get your hands on an old new mutants comic by chris claremont and bill sinkevich really good stuff Mm -hmm. so you know uh fox was doing the x-men movies for a while and they were turds all of them (laughs) um the one thing I will say about the X-Men movies is that they are probably the most faithful comic book adaptation I've ever seen. Really? And some of you might be like, <gasps> what? Yes, <laughs> no. And the reason I say that is because they are every bit as convoluted, contradictory, <laughs> and weird as the X-Men comic book series. So like in terms of content, they're yeah. not faithful at all. They're all over the map. Mm-hmm. But in terms of being confusing and very strange and there's probably too many of them yeah very similar to (laughs) x-men i mean i do still like i still really like the one where they uh wolverine goes back in time um i really like that one okay i'm a fan with James McAvoy and he's like sad. God, I hate those movies so much. I mean, much. that one's fine. Peter Dinklage, look, all my favorite people are there. So I hate. You could maybe make a case for X two and Logan being decent, but 
Eh. Everything else is turds in my book. Yeah. Um, anyway, so New Mutants was supposed to come out, and then they did the Fox-Disney merger. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing the Comic Bay drinking game, uh-huh. we mentioned Disney, so drink. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, also, earlier, you yeah. owe us a drink because Justin talked about how much he liked the book. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so New Mutants was this movie that was going to come out after Dark Phoenix, but then the merger happened, and the movie you, Dark Phoenix was universally panned, and so they were kind of like Disney pumped the brakes on it and it looked like it was never going to be released yeah then months later they were going to release it and it was like oh cool like i guess we'll finally get to see it they dropped the trailer for it it looks like an interesting take on the new mutants they're doing more of a horror element what did you think of the trailer which like yeah i so mm, feel conflicted about it because obviously it has my favorite sad boy jonathan from stranger things oh i thought you were gonna say aria from i mean uh, also aria yeah i was was getting to that yeah so it's got aria and sad boy jonathan which like i would i'm excited to see them in something new outside of like their um the like original properties that sort of made them famous and but i am and i mean i i actually i like um I like a lot of the new horror stuff that's coming out, like just in general, like how pop culture has sort of like taken this like swerve over to revisiting a lot of uh, Stephen King-esque horror and um, just like putting out some really interesting psychologically disturbing movies. But at the same time, um, I don't love this horror like superhero mashup that they're doing. Um. I'm, I, okay, my feelings on it are that it could be interesting. Um, I do think that if superhero movies are going to evolve, they kind of have to move past the blockbuster phase. Yeah. And they kind of have to start being more genre-oriented, where it's like, okay, this superhero leans a little bit more noir and Well, dark. we also saw that a little bit with Joker, which, again, I, I actually still, I still feel conflicted about that movie. Loved it. But, yeah, I mean beautiful like beautifully shot beautifully acted but disturbing like very color. disturbing and yeah well so this one looks like it could be like because there is certainly a lot of horror elements in the original um new mutants run yeah so i think that like they're kind of leaning in that direction and it looks interesting but also trailers can be cut you know to look like better movies than they are yeah and since it's it was made under the fox x-men banner i have very serious reservations (laughs) about it so again like it looked like it wasn't going to come out and then it looked like it was going to come out and then covid19 happened and they're you know not releasing any new movies and so it's kind of like this running joke in the comics community that this movie will never come out (laughs) <laughs> and it's like this weird white whale that I'm sure bootlegs will show up at comic conventions 20 years from now when it's finally safe to have comic conventions again. Or, like, they will release it and it will be, like, the, like, it will just be, like, a resounding silence of nothing. So that, yeah, that comes down to Disney, whether they're going to put it on, drink, uh, whether they're <laughs> going to put it on Disney Plus yeah. or not. And so that's sort of what people are angling for i bet that you know what now that you mentioned that that's probably what's going to happen especially with all of these um theatrical releases moving towards streaming services for their um premieres do you think that this is what's going to finally kill the movie theater industry i kind of hope not because i still love going to movie theaters like just the experience the popcorn like you know like and it's it's such an easy like um just like funding to do like it's so mm. low effort you just like i mean but maybe i think you yeah you've got a really good point like maybe it, we'll only see art house movies in theater you know what i mean like yeah or like what they'll do is like yeah actually i don't i don't really know i think i mean i think we already saw this even before like covid19 but like the um movie theater is sort of like uh transitioning more towards like serving actual food and, and like bars. drinks yeah. yeah you know and like having it be almost like this is a restaurant that also happens to have movies. Yeah. I mean, obviously some places don't go that far, but like um, there are some very bougie theaters, I think, that we're doing more things like that. Yeah, Check out the trailer if you want. And yeah. It's sort of interesting. Um, again, yeah. we are very hard up for comic book related news. But again, it, yeah, it's like, I think that, I mean, I'm still going to go just because of Aria and Jonathan. I don't know their actor names. It does not matter. 
All right. Um, this has been Comic Bay. Um, so normally I would tell you to go to your public library or go to your nearest comic shop. Yeah, but don't, but don't fucking do that. Don't do stay it. inside. <laughs> uh, wash your hands at least twenty seconds. Yeah. Stay safe. Stay sane. Oh, also, if you're wondering how long twenty seconds is, and you don't want to set a timer every single time you wash your hands, it's exactly the length of the SpongeBob theme song. So if you ever need to just like remember that as you're washing your hands, fun little tip. Yeah. For all you millennials out there. <laughs> or you could just hum the theme song from the X-Men animated series for 20 seconds. Or you could just do Spongebob. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and do that for, you know, 15 but more but seconds. Like, but you don't know how long. But it's the X-Men theme song from the 90s animated series. The point so is you that don't... the Spongebob theme song is exactly 20 seconds. But what's more fun? I'm done with this. We're trying to... <laughs> All right. Stay healthy. Um, Stay safe. Uh, check in with your neighbors, not physically, but maybe just call them. Just like, you know, people are probably feeling super isolated. So as much as you can do to sort of like virtually reach out. Um, and also if you're interested in the figure drawing that we mentioned at the top of the episode, we'll be posting about it on our feed on the Twitter, um, which you can find us at at Comic Bay Podcast. Um, but yeah, stay safe guys. Sign out.